0: Hey everyone, it's Ron Johnson. This is the Ron Johnson show on the Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast Network. And on today's show, we got Seth Green, former Gophers, tight end, quarterback, slash whatever you want to call him. And he's going to sit down and talk to us in the Daily 3 as well as the Hang with Ron Johnson segment. But more importantly, the Vikings won. The Vikings are 4-1 people, and the Packers lost. The Packers lost to the Giants. So the Giants helped the Vikings out. But this Vikings team... Sneakingly, almost lost to the Bears, but there's a stat that a lot of people are overlooking and we'll talk about that coming up in the Ron Johnson show on the field in the broadcast booth. Ron Johnson
1: is Minnesota sports. One of a kind opinions big name guests the teams you care about every 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 day. It's the Ron Johnson show part of locked on sports Minnesota and
2: it starts now.
0: Welcome to the Ron Johnson show and I'm your host, Ron Johnson on today's show. Like I said, there's something about this Vikings team that is feast or famine. And and we're going to talk about why and what that means. When I talk about feast or famine, a lot of people don't like famine, but there's a secret to this famine. This is not one of those, like the end of all times, uh, we are going to need Jesus to come back and find fish and loaves of bread to feed us all. No, it's a different kind of famine within this Vikings team, and it's 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 gonna be okay because we're gonna, it's a trend. It's not a mirage, it's a trend. I'm starting to realize it's a trend. And so when you think about this Viking team, there's a sneaky stat that we're gonna talk about. And before we do that, remember, you can you can now find Locked On Sports Minnesota on Amazon Fire and Roku. Download the Locked On Sports Minnesota app to get all your favorite shows. You can watch my show, or Superior Sports Talk, but you can also go back and watch all the interview segments and the hang with Ron Johnson. Like I said, Adam Thielen, Cam Bynum. Check them out, some good ones. Robert Griffith, Byron Chamberlain. We've had some great ones. We've had Leo Lewis. He had a lot to talk about, about the, the, the old ways of the Vikings. And we're well, speaking of old ways of the Vikings, this is not the old way of the Vikings. And as I bring Sam Extram into the show, Sam, I'm excited mm-hmm. for the trajectory what's going on with this team and when i said feast or famine this is this is what i mean cooper cup cooper jadarius cup i don't even know if that's his middle name it's not we know something (laughs) else we'll go with it (laughs) but cooper cup he had somewhere in the 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 numbers of like 191 targets something crazy like that, or 191, I can't remember what it was, it was something crazy, you know, 191 targets, I think, and the next closest guy was, like, in the 80s, like, 89 targets. So, Cooper Cup was over-targeted. This was last year, and they won a Super Bowl. And then the next closest guy, I think it was Van Jefferson, just did what he could do. Cooper Cup also had, like, 147 catches. I think the next closest guy had, like, 50 or 60, something like that. Like, this is a feat, that was a feast or famine offense. Cooper Cup was gonna feast, and the other receivers had to just eat from the famine. They had to just whatever scraps were out there, just give them to me. And they're gonna enjoy them because they're not getting them. And so the minute they get some, they're like, "Oh, feed me! Give me more! Give me more!" And that's what because people are like calling on the fan line, like, "Oh, we're wasting Adam Thielen. What do we do with this? We're paying him all this money, and we're wasting him. He's making eleven million dollars, and we're wasting him." No, we're just not paying Justin Jefferson enough yet. We're dealing with a rookie receiver contract, and we're getting veteran. Stats from it. We didn't have to pay him to get the OBJ numbers. We didn't have to pay him to get the Cooper Cup numbers. He's getting them right now. And that's what this offense is going to be. It's going to be feast or famine. One receiver is going to feast and the other ones are going to feed like it's a famine. They're just going to take whatever scraps are left on the table and they're going to devour them because they are so hungry and thirsty. But that, whether it's Justin Jefferson or it's Thielen, most likely it's Jefferson. It's gonna be that type of game where it's 12 catches, 154 yards. Jalen Rager, he was happy with his scraps. I'll take one catch for a two-yard line. More coach, I'll give me 10 touchdowns with 10 catches. I'll take it. Like I, I'm not gonna argue with you, coach. And that's where this team is. And so people have to be okay with that. And Sam, here's a stat we can talk about, though. The Vikings offense on third down was 31.5% coming to this game, before this game. This game, and we talked about that, they were getting first downs on first and second down, but third down, they were struggling to get off the field. Well, now they were 12 for 18, 80% on third down. And after Monday night's game, we'll talk about this tomorrow. We'll see who had the best week five, third down ratio. And I'm guessing it's probably the Vikings. They're 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 in the top five for sure. They got to be in the top five, not the best. But 12 for 15 on third down. Now, here's one, though, Sam, that they need to work on. Yards to go. In, on, in, in the first quarter, it's 7.6. In the second quarter, 6.7, so they're getting better, and that's the third best in the NFL. Well, the third quarter, we're getting those laws, and teams are coming back. 8.7 yards, that's 32nd. 9.1 in the fourth, that's 30th. So, though they're doing well in the first half, and they're absolutely coming out guns a-blazing besides the Eagles game, And this offense was great. They got to figure this third down out. But Sam, when you hear those numbers, you hear the third down, like they've gotten better now. You you hear the Justin Jefferson's going to feast and Adam Thielen and the rest of the guys are going to eat off famine. Like what did that – what does that feel to you? And then how did did this game feel to you?
1: Yeah, I think that there was measurable progress in two areas where they were struggling. Third downs, you mentioned Mm -hmm. it, and red zone where they were – four for four yesterday after going two for five against New Orleans the Vikings were 26th and 28th in third down and red zone and they were brilliant at both those Mm -hmm. things yesterday so while they scored 29 points yesterday and then 28 against the Saints last week so a one point difference it felt like the offense was a lot more efficient Um, Mm -hmm. I still wish they could change the narrative a little bit and stop winning ugly um, I wish that they could blow out a bad team, like the Bills did against Pittsburgh. The Bills mm. destroyed them, and that's what they do. They're just just—they're an elite team. The Vikings keep, they keep grinding out wins, and it's kind of ugly, and, and I keep waiting for them to take the next step. But, Ron, if Kirk Cousins is going to be this clutch all year long, maybe they don't have to win pretty. Uh, this is a big development. This matters. If Kirk Cousins can consistently do this in the fourth quarter, and he can bounce back from adversity and erase deficits this routinely, that's huge because that's always been the big thing missing from Kirk Cousins is that he couldn't overcome deficits or adversity. And when things got going the wrong way, he would fold. So this is that is a big deal. And the Vikings are 4-1, and one, and all those wins count. So regardless of how they're winning, uh, they're in kind of a bad conference, except for the Eagles. I don't know who's elite. And the Vikings are right there in that two-seat position. So I think that the building trend here, Kirk Cousins might be a little bit of a different quarterback than he has been in the past.
0: Yeah, and, and here's one thing that nobody's talking about either, and we have to. This rush defense in this 3-4, everybody was like, we throw it out. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Start over again. Go back to the 4-3. Watch film. They have been giving up 138 yards on the ground per game through four games. This game, The Bears, and let's not act like the Bears weren't good, like the Bears' run game had rushed for 709 yards before yesterday, and they were third. They had the third best run game in the NFL, and they had the 32nd, which is the worst, passing game in the NFL, and the Vikings, what did they do? They studied. They hit their gaps. They figured it out. Guys flew around the field. 20 yards rushing for david montgomery in this khalil herbert show 11. he had he had flashed the game before like herbert was the thing like what is this herbert kid gonna do like is this now the is this a one-two punch no this is a one-two flick like this that's what their offense was their running game was <laughs> it wasn't a punch 11 yards four carries he averaged 2.8 Montgomery averaged 1.7. Without Justin Fields running for his life, getting 47 yards, and thank goodness for Amir Smith-Marset. Like, who knew that Kevin O'Connell's best move was picking up Jalen Rager and cutting Amir Smith-Marset. Amir Smith-Marset is the unsung hero of this Vikings game. And and Mm -hmm. I know it pains him. and You never want to relish in somebody's pain because Justin Fields had a long run. 47 yards rushing for Justin Fields negated one of his biggest runs of the day because Amir Smith-Marset decided to block somebody in the back being overzealous and trying too hard to beat his former team. Great acting by Cam, Bo- or, uh, Cam Dantzler, let's be real. Yep. But it was a block in the back by the letter of the law. And then, with a the chance to try to like get down and, and have one last chance to throw the ball to the end zone or a couple more plays, Amir Smith-Marset gets his first catch as a bear Makes Cam Dansler miss instead of going out of bounds, realizing like, hey, this is the two-minute drill. I'm not gonna get it. I'm not gonna break through two guys. Like, get out of bounds. You make one, make the first guy miss, and then you get as much as you can get going out of bounds. Don't go backwards because the clock still runs. You got to keep going forward, but get out of bounds. Like, coaches say it all the time. It's two-minute drill. We rather you get out of bounds than us have to run up and spike the ball. So miss Marset tries too hard again. Cam Dansler hops up the quickest hop up I've ever seen. And rips the ball. One, he probably didn't realize somebody from behind was still coming back that quick because it was a quick, like, I'm on the ground, I'm back up off the ground. Snatches the ball mm-hmm. out of his head. He ripped the ball and his heart out in one fell swoop. And he's smart enough to not try to go for the touchdown and get and fumble because we've seen that happen where guys try too hard on the other end and they refumble. And then the offense gets it back and then they come out and throw a Hail Mary. That's like how Packers went. Nope. Cam Dansler, savvy vet now slides to the ground, gives himself up like a quarterback, game over. Justin Jefferson does the Bruce Lee on the back, kick flip up, game's over. Victory formation, everything we love to see. Kirk Cousins puts the diamond chain on and spins it. So, um, Smith-Marset, like, yeah, tough day for him, but he's the untung hero. So, you got to give Kwasi credit. He knew this was going to happen. Like, he, I don't know if he visited, like, vision from avengers and saw the future or wanda or thanos told him if you don't do this this is not going to work out for you he did it he said you know what either smith amir smith marxette's going to screw it up for us or he's gonna screw it up for the bears might as well be the bears i hate to do it let's get Jalen rager and then he does it it works but when you look at cam Dansler, got to tip your cat to him got to tip your cap to the defense Daniil hunter got home finally got home he said he felt like this was going to be his game he got home now one thing we need to talk about sam before we get out of this segment and this is uh we're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow so for those that want to hear the rest tune in tomorrow's segment but we got to talk about the value of the run game when you look at the rams dalvin cook was able to get 94 yards i think cj ham I don't know. I didn't do the number. Somebody said it was like three, maybe three offensive plays. When you think about CJ Ham in this offense, like what's what's left for him to like what how can they get him involved in this offense cuz I'm not seeing it right now. Like I don't know with 74 plays, I would think he should be on the field at least 15 to 20 of those to run the ball, but I don't know. So so what do you think?
1: Yeah, I uh I thought that this was going to end up being more of a thing i thought that they were kind of hiding cj ham honestly like in the mm-hmm. preseason they never used a fullback and i thought they were gonna just jump him on teams and say hey we can go with these big sets we can go with a fullback we're not mm-hmm. just exclusively 11 personnel right. but they really haven't they really haven't had a big ham game yet um in new orleans the announcers kept you know raving about him and i should say in london the announcers were raving about CJ Ham. We want more ham. It sounds like the Vikings are going to use CJ Ham and I think he got 9 snaps. So, uh I don't know. That that might just not be their identity. Now maybe if they recognize a really vulnerable run defense, they'll use Ham just to bulldoze holes through. But I think this could be just who they are. He might just be a, a guy who aspires to get 10 snaps a game and that's a bummer for Ham. You know, the fullback is a dying breed. Um, or they could use him in more some some tight end situations, too. They've been cycling through uh, Smith and Munt. And now Ellefson's on the IR. Let's keep that in mind, too. So they do have a little void in that tight end role. Maybe they use Ham in line and get him some more snaps uh, in that way. But I don't think this is going to be the CJ Ham usage that we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, because this is what's crazy. So when you talk about, you know, we talked about Kevin O'Connell... And we talked about like, what is this team's identity? But when you look at the Minnesota Vikings this year, game five, so this year's game five, they've run the ball or they passed the ball 46 times in game five. Now, 74 plays, 46 times, they ran the ball 32 times. So it wasn't like, it wasn't off. They ran the ball 32 times. So CJ Ham should be out there at least 25 in my opinion. Like, if you know you're going to run the ball, get a fullback out there. But that's just my opinion. Last year, the Vikings, 2021, 37 passes, 30 runs. So it's pretty much like, even though Kevin O'Connell gets to the run by passing and Mike Zimmer ran to pass, you're getting the same production. This just looks like a little bit more productive offense. Like, people were so nervous about the run. And man, like, are we going to have Dalvin Cook? Like, what's the purpose of him? They're still getting to it. 2022 and 2021, it's the same pass-run spread. Now, we'll get to maybe the bye week and do a full breakdown of the, the, the entire, like, first six games of 2021 versus the first six games mm-hmm. of 2022. I, I can't wait for that bye week show because it's going to be loaded with uh, then and nows. We'll call it then and now. Yeah. I, I just came up with that. But the, we're going to load it up that week of then and now. This is what it was then. This is what it is now. What are your thoughts? And so when you when you think about that, when you think about that, it's the same team as far as usage, it's just no use for CJ Ham. The Rams didn't use a fullback. They didn't use a fullback in a preseason. Kevin O'Connell might just, he might not know how to get to it. Let's be real. He might not know how to get to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like we can't fault him for, for, for being a creature of habit and doing what he does. But speaking of somebody that does what they do, Seth Green. This is a kid that he just did what he did, which was play quarterback when they needed him to, play tight end, play running back, play fullback. Like this kid was all over the field for the Gophers in the red zone, the green zone, as they call it. Um, Seth Green, you know, there was the green train. I forgot what even they call it the green cat, you know, wild green. I don't know. Uh, But but Seth Green's going to join us in the Hangar and Ron Johnson segment. Looking forward to that. But remember, Locked On Sports Minnesota gives you endless Vikings talk with local experts. Get your daily 30-minute dose of sports with Carol Levin, sports anchor Reggie Wilson going back and forth with his co-host Luke Inman. It's fast, it's fun, it's Superior Sports Talk, your daily Minnesota sports show. And remember, the Amazon Fire and the Roku app. You can download the, the Locked On Sports Minnesota app and you can get all of our shows. But we also have a word from our sponsors.
1: BetOnline.net sponsors today's show. That's your number one source for football betting info this season. Looking ahead to Vikings Dolphins in Miami. The Vikings, with all that Miami quarterback uncertainty, the Vikings are three-point favorites in South Beach, over under 45 and a half to start the week. We're going to be tracking that and other lines, including the Gophers line on Saturday at BetOnline.net. It's your number one source for all sport wagering info. And it's not just football. It's MLB playoffs, NBA and NHL starting up, MMA, boxing, golf. It's all there with up-to-the-minute news and podcasts and all of the lines updated by the minute. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game
0: starts. And now it's pointing to the show the Hangover Ron Johnson segment. As promised, Seth Green, former Gophers tight end quarterback, East Ridge standout superstar, Seth Green. He is now a current NFL athlete, made some training camps. But we'll talk more about that. But more importantly, Seth is a good guy. Like Seth created a whole like dynamic of gopher football that people didn't even know they loved until he got here. I want to thank Seth Green for joining me on the Ron Johnson Show. Seth, I want to start out there. You were a high school quarterback. Uh, you, you went to East Ridge High School, who, when you were there, was one of the powerhouses in high school football and basketball. Um, when you think about your time at East Ridge and then you end up moving, what was that like as a young kid, you know, a young high school kid, kind of, you know, saying, you know what, I, I'm here, this is my high school friends, but now, I, you know, my, I have to follow my family
2: you know uh it was a blessing first and foremost i think with eastridge being such a new school and program when i had got there that we really were able to name a build to build a name for ourselves and i think that's something you don't um get to do a lot in life uh usually a lot of people have came before you in a certain aspect no matter what role position uh area company team you're on there's always been great people to role model for you and, you know, give you wisdom. But I think building up that new program was a lot of fun. Like you said, football and basketball uh, were the two sports I enjoyed in high school and then uh, moving to Texas. It was uh, tough, but like I said, just a blessing. Going to Texas was definitely a learning experience, whether that be the social transition, not being around the people I'd been around my whole life or just the You know adjustment to the new area new dynamics everything about it so i think that it helped me in the long run but it was definitely a learning process that was had its challenges but i enjoyed it
0: well seth green we got to start here everybody knows the story about seth green seth green committed to the university of oregon uh, as a former minnesota high school standout but then was in texas committed to oregon well kind of fell in love with Minnesota because he was from there and he ended up decommitting and choosing Minnesota. Why did you choose Minnesota over Oregon?
2: Right, so uh, while I was committed to Oregon, you know, like I said, I was going through a lot of transitions with moving to Texas, um, gained a lot of new perspective in life. And then on top of that, they were having some uh, coaching changes up there at the University of Oregon. So with that, it sort of made everything uh, a broader picture for me, uh, realizing that you can't just pick a school for a certain coach or one specific reason, because things do change, things happen on the fly. So, uh, with Minnesota, I knew I loved the city of Minneapolis. I knew I loved the school itself, uh, the academics, and then my recruiting class, I was close with everybody and we hadn't even been to school yet. So, um, (laughs) It was it, it was something that I knew I was going to feel at home and feel like I was loved and taken care of there, um, regardless of what was happening uh, on the football
0: field. And who are some big names that were in that recruiting class with you?
2: Right. So my recruiting class, uh, Carter Coughlin, Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, Kamal Martin, Tyler Johnson, uh, Ko just a few of the names. Wow. But yes, that's a, our solid, class that's was a solid
0: class. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a, that's yeah. an NFL class. I mean, when you look at that group of guys, um, all, I mean, honestly, all NFL guys, like, you know, Kamal, like you said, Kamal Carter, uh, Antoine Winfield, Tyler Johnson, yourself, and Co who just suited up for the Buccaneers this past weekend. Like that, that's a crazy, uh, recruiting class, which kind of got everything um, not to say started because you guys were under Jerry Kill, and then PJ Fleck comes in, and that group is kind of got you know roll the boat to where it is now, and and you have some tough decisions to make as well because again another coaching change, you you don't have to stay, um, you can right. leave, you know when you think about that, but but why did you stay with PJ Fleck?
2: I mean. I guess it goes back to what I said the first time what made me commit I was in love with the school, I was in love with my teammates, you know we were all super close and it was one of those things that I wanted to stay and see it through and see those tough times through. uh, With the guys, so I stayed and put my head down and went to work and then you know we ended up having success.
0: Yeah, and when you look at that success, you know, there, there's always like P.J. Fleck talks about there's failure, and then how do you respond to that failure? Um, when, when you think about, you know, the, the university had a black eye, I guess you want to say, when Tracy Clays was there uh, due to some off the field stuff, a uh, weird situation happened. But you guys stood together as a team and said, if the school doesn't do right by everybody, we're not gonna play in this bowl game. And you guys took a stand, like you guys protested and said, this is not right. This is not, we're not being treated fair. Uh, These guys didn't, didn't handle it right. Um, What was that like? Like that moment when you guys kind of just took a stand and said, you know what, until you guys do this right, we're not going to play in this bowl game.
2: You know, it just keeps going back to that brotherhood and you know, the closeness of the team, not only as I spoke to with my specific class, but the team as a whole, mm-hmm. um, the fact that all the team would be willing to sacrifice for a handful of guys, uh, just shows you how much and how, how much care we had for each other and how commended we were to each other. And so I think that speaks volumes that, especially the leaders, the older guys were willing to uh, make that stand Uh as a team, more or less, because yeah. we were a team. So with that, everybody was for each other and supporting each other.
0: Yeah. And to be clear, people, we are not here to talk about guilty or not guilty. That has nothing to do with us. We we're just talking about the brotherhood and how guys, you know, didn't know, but they were like, I don't care. It has to be fair. Whatever happened, I still wanted to be fair. And, and, and that was a huge moment. And uh, go for sports, just for a group of guys to stand up and say, at least just make it fair. Like, this doesn't feel fair. I don't feel like guys are getting their chance to, you know, do it the right way, lawyers, whatever should be done. Um, And so that was a huge moment, you know. And if you want to know the story, go Google it, figure it out what happened next. Um, But we're going to move on and transition to your position. You were a high school quarterback, like a top quarterback in the country. And then you come to college and you're asked to play tight end. But then you have a chance, a sneaky chance, to be back at quarterback. Uh, under under this system that P.J. Fleck had put together. They called it the green zone. They called it the, you know, the, the, the whatever you want to call it, the, the Seth Wildcat. Um, what was that, you know, like playing tight end and then also being able to go back to quarterback?
2: It was an opportunity. I think that's the thing I was most grateful for. Um, like I said, I was a big team guy sacrificing and, making sure I did and gave my best for my teammates and gave us the best possible chance to win. So with that, you know, I, like you said, had a bunch of position changes, never really had one clear cut role, which was fine with me because I was still contributing and doing what the team needed to win. So I think that that was the best part for me is that I was able to use my abilities to contribute to the game and give us the best chance to win in whatever situation it was
0: yeah and when you think about the roll the culture um you know the never give up attitude uh what's what's a time you know that, that you've noticed now that you've really needed to kind of rely on that mindset
2: right i mean there there was plenty of times through my career that Myself or the team as a whole had to just, you know, rely on that. Um, there are multiple peaks and valleys, whether it be in the off season when you're working, and nobody sees it. The season seems months away, uh, mm-hmm. or if you, you know, lose a couple games and it seems like everything can start falling apart really fast because that's the nature of college football. If you want to be in the top of the top conversation, your margin of error is very small, and so with the opportunities we had. There were multiple times, whether it be losing a couple games that we know we should have won or just work in the off season, that's going to give us the best chance for the upcoming season that we just had to follow the culture and keep pushing.
0: And and then you got a chance to go on and play in the NFL. And so what was your first NFL training camp like? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, It was a blessing, first and foremost. You know, a lot of people don't make it that far, and I think that's one thing that stood out to me the most was the amount of great college players I've played with or played against that didn't get an opportunity to make an NFL training camp. So going through training camp and playing in preseason games was uh, a blessing and a lot of fun. I think it it was very interesting because at the end of the day, you realize it's just football. Um, it's the same thing you've been doing since high school, just at a little bit higher level, and that just being, you know, like I said, when you're in those top conversations, which the NFL every game, every week, every day is, the margin for error is a lot smaller. Um, The people you're going against make a lot less mistakes and have a lot less deficiencies from a talent standpoint. So it's just always being on point on your P's and Q's making sure you're giving your best effort and fully prepared every single day.
0: Yeah, and when when you look at, you know, when you look at the, you know, kind of the situations within the NFL and now you're an NFL free agent, but you're still watching, you're working out, you, you have to be ready at any call, you know, any moment somebody calls, you got to be ready to go and, and, and be ready to go. But when you're watching NFL football now, from a quarterback, tight end, standpoint before we jump into the daily three because the daily three it's gonna be a fun fast paced three questions three minutes uh we're both gonna take half the time but before we do that what are what what, what's a tight end quarterback duo that you really love to watch because you play both you play quarterback and you play tight end so you understand both positions but what's a duo that you really enjoy watching
2: right i mean i hate to say the obvious answer but i think (laughs) pat mahomes and kelsey is at the top i mean the it And as as much as I do enjoy a lot of tight end play and quarterback play, that's just, I think in the simplest form, it's it's the most fun to watch because they're playing the most freely with top talent in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, both of those guys are top of their position, create big plays for their team and with each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I thought you might say Kirk Cousins and, you know, Irv Smith Jr. or something, because you and Irv Smith (laughs) kind of look like each other. You know, you guys could pass off as brothers, but I I thought you might go there, but no, no, I know. I know Kelsey's an easy one. I think everybody thinks that. Uh, I like George Kittle as well Um, from a tight end standpoint. I just don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is is the one. Uh, Trey Lance I think would have been a great one. Um, But when you look at your brothers now, your brothers are playing football. In college right. and they're twins. I didn't realize they were twins. I knew you had brothers, but I didn't know they were twins. So when you look at your brothers, uh, how often do you get a chance to either go to their games live or just talk to them, uh, and watch their games? Yep. So
2: I, last year we had a buy, um, and I was able to go to one game. Uh, otherwise I usually just watch on TVs or watch highlights depending on when my games were schedule lines up, all those things. Um, this past season since becoming a free agent I've been able to go to two I actually just got back yesterday from their game against Texas Tech and okay. it you know it's a great experience um one of them Blaine is injured right now so you know prayers are with him I know it's tough for him he sort of had a breakout season towards the end of the year last year was set up for a big opportunity to sort of have his role solidified and just Go out there and make plays, but we all know how injury goes. Um, and Bryson is making the most of his opportunities. I think yesterday he went five catches for 115 yards and touchdown, um, and just is is bawling. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch, um, especially when I know all the work they've put in um, for however many years, finally getting this opportunity on a on a big stage, Division One, Big 12 football. Um, top 10 team. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it as a fan. And then as a brother, I think both of those are great experiences.
0: Yeah, and, and for those that don't know, he's talking about Bryson Green, receiver at Oklahoma State, wears number nine, played in all 12 games as a freshman, started in six of them, and now is getting a chance to be a dynamic sophomore. And so if you want to check out a little bit of Seth Green's brothers or brother, the ones hurt, but you can check out some Oklahoma State football, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Who won that game, by the way? Oklahoma State did. Okay. Still okay. undefeated. <laughs> so when you look at your brother now being a receiver, you know, uh, who's a better, like, is he a better athlete than you now? Uh, I don't know.
2: See, it is hard, though, because since moving to tight end, I put on a little bit of weight. Not too much where I'm still athletic, but I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, y'all, y'all, y'all a lot lighter than me, so I hope you're moving a little bit better but if you want to get in a box come talk
0: to me <laughs> Who, who's better on the hoop court than between the three of you
2: oh me for sure see they got the disadvantage <laughs> when they moved down here um it was end of junior year for me but it was seventh grade for them so throughout middle school and high school football was basically year-round because we have spring ball down here in yep. high school and for me The second football season ended in Minnesota in November, you know, around that Thanksgiving time from then until July, I was hooping, whether it was high school or AAU. So I I got the hoop conversation.
0: (laughs) And speaking of one fun one, because, you know, I always like to do this because I know Brevin and some of the guys check it out when we tweet these out. But Brevin Spanford is is one of the biggest tight ends in college football. You know, there's another guy bigger than him at Georgia, uh, but he's also a hooper. Uh, when you look yes, at his sir. ceiling, you know, what, what? how good can he be if he were to just be utilized all the time at tight end?
2: You know, I think he can be number one out of college, off the board, uh, however you want to measure that. But, I mean, like you said, he's he's so athletic and also has the size and physicality to go behind it. I mean, it's not very often, especially in college football, you get that combination. I think, like you said, his background, he's he was a taller guy. He was a hooper. He basically played receiver at St. Cloud Tech in high school. Um and so transitioning to college, being in a tight end room with guys like Coke, who was arguably the best blocking tight end in college football, I think that gave him not only the mentorship, but the reps and the you know, the visual of what it looks like to dominate at the line of scrimmage.
0: Well, we're going to jump into the Daily 3 now, but before we do that, check out our Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube, following every Twins, Vikings, Wild, or Wolves game. Our Locked On team hosts are broadcasting live with team insiders. Never miss a podcast by subscribing to Locked On Sports Minnesota on YouTube, and don't forget the Amazon Fire and Roku apps. You can download the the Locked On Sports Minnesota app as well to get all of our shows. Well, it's that time of the show. We're going to have Sam Ekstrom jump in and take it away.
1: All right, we got three minutes on the clock, and we'll start Ooh. here with Ron. I want to get both of your opinions on Kirk Sciarocca's offense. Seth, you played under it, and Ron, obviously, you've observed it for many years. He's now back <laughs> as the offensive coordinator. Ron, I'll let you start.
0: Well, I'll, I'll, the one thing I'll do is I'll go a little bit more cerebral with my mm-hmm. – um, I, I really like – because when you see Mike Sanford Junior.'s check with me and then you see Kirk Sciarocca check with me, I just think Kirk Sciarocca – has a better handle on it. And if you notice, Mike Sanford Jr. doesn't really wanna do check with me. It's like, I don't know if that's really his offense. I feel like he came in and PJ Fleck asked him to just pick up the offense Minnesota had already run and then maybe put a little bit of a spin on it. But hey, this is what our quarterback's been used to. We need you to do it. What well, the problem with that is he didn't know how to do it, when to do it, at what time was the proper time. Kirk Scirocco, what I like is that he's getting that call into Tanner Morgan with enough time So 20-ish seconds, at the least, it should be 18 seconds for him to turn, tell the rest of the team what to do, mainly the offensive line, and then get into the play to make sure this is the right play, just in case there's one last check. We saw Mike Sanford Jr. last year. There was tons of times where Tanner was turning at 12, and then with seven, he was turning back. Seven seconds is not enough time to yell out any changes to the offensive line, and that's where there were so many procedural penalties or so many rushed plays where Tanner's like, all right, we got to run the ball and the defense knows. So they can pin their their, their ears back and just go because they're like, it's going to be a run. Let's just hit our gaps. And it doesn't allow for them to have to think a little bit too much. And when the defense has to think, the offense has the advantage. And that's what I like about Kirk Scirocco's offense is his. Like, he knows what to do with it and he really loves it. But I, I love the basic part of that where he's getting the offense a chance. Other than that, I mean, I, I think he, he has a good handle on it. Mo Ibrahim makes that offense go. Um, So we'll be interested to see what happens when they figure it out with or without Mo this week.
1: How about you, Seth?
2: You know, I think uh, the thing I enjoy the most about Soraka's offense is the game planning behind it. Uh, I think that's where I learned a lot of, you know, how game planning goes. The the game plan's always built on the strengths of the offense, first and foremost, and especially when I was there, you know, it was the O-line and running the ball. Um, starting with inside zone, getting the game flowing. And from that point, like Ron said, using the check with me's using the, you know, five deep playlist of shot plays to exploit the coverage and the weaknesses in the defense, uh, get your matchups and make them pay when they start trying to load the box or whatever it may be to stop the, the run. So with that, I think Sorok does a great job of, recognizing defenses and what their solutions to problems they'll have against us is going to be and then taking advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves in games
1: yeah i can't argue with that um it seems like he's really had an impact on that gophers offense this year uh kind of bringing them back to you know one of the better offenses in the big 10 and uh gophers were off on saturday to play again this coming weekend Uh, Next one, I want your take, Seth, on what was the best part about the game day experience at what was TCF Bank Stadium, now Huntington Bank Stadium, in your
2: opinion? Whew, Uh, there's a lot. I mean, I just, I appreciated the city and the state coming out. Um, I feel like it's very rare um, around college football that you get that much pride in a school and a football team, especially when you're located that close to a big city. I think that was such a great experience every Saturday to see everybody coming out. Um, like Ron said, I was there for homecoming last week, seeing the stripe out. Um, everybody did great with that. It was a beautiful thing to see.
0: Yeah, so for me, um, I don't know, it's, it's so different. So I, I've been around, and Seth was probably a baby at this time, but I've been around for, uh, the stadium at the metrodome and then now seeing tcf bank now A.K. huntington bank so um look yeah because how old were you set in 1998. uh that's the year i was born <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. Uh, oh man i feel so old uh you were born i was walking into minnesota getting ready to catch touchdowns ah uh, my and you know it's funny my very first college football touchdown was the first game i ever played and it was against, uh, no, I think second game I played was against Houston. So in your hometown ah. now. So we played at the <laughs> University of Houston. I'll never forget freshman year, uh, ran a hitch and go. And the guy bit on it, deep ball, caught it. The safety like hit under me, like dove under me. And I dove over the top of him, landed, celebrated. Did not know we are not supposed to celebrate in college football. So I got punished. <laughs> uh later that week had to to roll the entire length of the field I think I'm pretty sure for my celebration uh because back in 98 man it wasn't like now we couldn't put backpacks on and all the stuff you guys do now but I'd say for the for the for the the, uh, Huntington Bank Stadium for me just being an alumni it's cool to see the student section like I love that because of the Metrodome and Sam remembers this the student section was all the way off in like a weird corner we did come out of that tunnel but they were so high up it wasn't the same feeling. Even the Vikings, when they come out the tunnel, it's not so much of having a bunch of fans yelling right at you because they're not super close. Um, right. The, the the student section is like right there where you can reach up and high five a kid. Uh, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're swaying back and forth. They're, they're you know they're they're banging on the wall, ringing their keys. I, I love the student section and how early they arrive too. That was always an issue. at at, at Metrodome because they had to take a shuttle to get over there. Some kids walked like they walked across the bridge to get to the Metrodome. So they were getting there late. You know, some people didn't even show up and they're like, oh, we're downtown. Let's let's go get a drink. Like, forget going to this game. We're downtown and they might not card us this weekend. And I'm 19. So, you know, it it was (laughs) we we always had that like little like, I'm going to go to the library instead of the game. I don't feel like going to the Metrodome. Now it's easy. Frat Row can just walk right from their apartment houses, whatever. Down in the stairs. so I bar. love that atmosphere.
1: That's not the library with books, is it, Ron? That's a different no, library. No, my mom
0: didn't know that, <laughs> so I used to always tell her. I remember telling her that for like a year, uh, my freshman year. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to head over to the library. And she just assumed it was the books. And then she came up. Uh, I forgot what game my freshman year she came up to. And then I told her, like, at midnight, I think, hey, yeah, me and some guys are going to the library. She was like, what? And then she realized what it was. So then, from so then on, and she was like, "Such yeah. a good
2: student." De- Connecting the dots.
0: Yeah, that first that yeah. first month or two, she was like, "Oh my goodness, my baby's He's studying." He's doing it. the schoolwork. No, nope. <laughs> I was partying.
1: <laughs> Last one. Uh, we asked you, Seth, about your favorite uh, quarterback tight end combo. I just want to ask you both about offenses in general. When you watch football on Saturdays and Sundays. What is one offense that you just love, that you enjoy watching, whether it's the concepts
0: or the talent? Ron, we'll start with you. So normally, like Pat Mahomes was my answer, but I'm going to save that one for Seth probably. Um, and also, I don't feel like the Chiefs are hitting on all cylinders like they used to. Um I honestly, right now, like, I do like the 49ers with all the multiple sets, all the motions and shifts, all the the trinkets and things they try to do. But the Vikings are four and one. And Justin Jefferson, mainly, I mean, now the rest of the guys are good. But Justin Jefferson, that's a fun offense to really watch. When you sit down and watch, like, the battles, the mental stuff he goes through, the ways, you know, I mean, there was an underneath shovel pass fake handoff to Jalen Rager. Like that's in in that, that's that's Seth Green Green Zone type stuff. Like I like the Vikings offense now. Kevin O'Connell is doing what the Rams tried to do at times, and he's executing it. And I really enjoy watching him every week come up with like we had never seen that wrinkle with Jalen Rager, and now we saw it. If he has four hundred, I think it's four hundred two plays, you can't do them all. Like you have to, it's going to take time to get those out in certain situations, and that situation presented itself. So I really do, I, I, I hate to say it, like I enjoy watching the Vikings offense, right now at least.
2: I got two in a sense. So the first one would be the Dolphins when they were all healthy. You know, it's a, it's a team that's battling a bunch of injury right now, but when they were firing on all cylinders, I mean, I, I didn't see their offense getting stopped by anybody. Obviously, um, Tyreek and Waddle, Um, two of the fastest receivers game speed in the NFL. Tua was playing his best ball, finally getting settled in into his NFL role with his new team, new offense, uh, things of that sort. And I feel like they were creating matchup nightmares across the board that just wasn't going to be able to stop. But consistently, I think this season, the Bills and obviously Josh Allen playing top tier ball um, it's going to be hard to stop them in general, you know. Um, Stefan Diggs playing well, um, the whole offense really just having everything in sync and continuing to find ways to win games. And I think that the way they're winning games is very sustainable, not only through the rest of this regular season, but hopefully they keep that consistency up through playoffs and after at the Super Bowl.
1: I saw a good stat today about the Bills. They have the same record as the Vikings. They're both four and one the bills yep. have outscored their opponents by 91 points. the vikings have outscored their opponents by 13. they're both
2: <laughs> hey, winning games is winning games, but like i said, if you keep up that style of ball, it's going to be hard to uh, hard to hard to
0: slow down especially come playoffs. This is one thing i'll say a pj flectism. The bills have not seen adversity the way the vikings have. So when it's when the rubber's going to meet the road or when the fire is hot, I think the Vikings are, are, are more prepared to go down to the wire, where I feel like the Bills might might, might crumble a little bit. And the Bills' coordinator nip. freaked
1: out and threw all of his papers. Remember when they lost? <laughs> yeah. That was the adversity, and they they couldn't exactly.
0: handle it. Exactly. Yeah, you know, the Vikings are. I mean, Kirk Cousins is even keel. They're 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 relaxed <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Seth Gray for joining me on the Ron Johnson show today. If you haven't heard the interview, go back, check out the Hang with Ron Johnson segment with Seth Green. And remember, when you subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota, you're getting endless Vikings talk with local experts. Subscribe to the free Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast feed wherever you find your podcast, And find our videos on Locked On Sports Minnesota's YouTube channel. You can also download the Amazon, Fire, and Roku devices have the Locked On Sports Minnesota app. Please download so you can see all the videos. And you can go back and watch uh, every single show that you missed. Adam Thielen, you can go back and see uh, Cam Bynum, who's balling out right now for the Vikings. So check out those interviews. They were great, and have a great day.